A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Behind the Money Night School. I'm Peter Spiegel. I'm the U.S. Managing Editor of the Financial Times. BTM Night School is a special series made in collaboration with Blinkist that will serve as a guide to the U.S. economy for 2023. For tonight's lesson... Some of the policy decisions that were made in the post-COVID era have really impacted the trajectory of inflation in this country, but it's also a global phenomenon, and we have to keep that in mind. We're joined by Colby Smith, the Financial Times' U.S. Economics Editor, to talk inflation. Inflation keeps going up, Colby will unpack what the federal government can do to counteract it and where inflation might be headed in the near future. Colby, why don't we start with sort of the big stand back. If we're thinking about the U.S. economy, why should we worry about inflation? So high inflation, it's bad for individuals, it's bad for businesses, and it's bad for the economy more broadly. For you and me, it means that we have less purchasing power, we can buy fewer things, and uh, we may be forced into dip into our savings uh, to cover everyday items like food and gas. It's also disruptive for businesses as well, because it does mean that companies are trying to balance how much they can raise uh, prices at the same time not fend off customers. Um, so it's this really delicate dance um, for the entire economy. And when it's on this like fragile footing in a high inflationary environment, it just means that there's more uncertainty. Policymakers are having to act more aggressively to get it under control. And I go back to this refrain from Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jay Powell, who says, you know, without price stability, the economy doesn't work for anyone. Let me just take you even deeper into that topic, because the strange thing in the environment we're in right now is that we went for frankly, more than a decade with no inflation whatsoever or very limited inflation. Now we've seen consumer prices rise faster than any time, frankly, since the 1980s. So what has happened and why did it happen so fast? So the shock, first and foremost, reflects the fact that we had one of the most massive disruptions of our time with COVID-19. So it's hard to underscore just how much people's lives changed in that environment from the way we work uh, to the way we shop uh, to the way we interact with one another. So that just completely kind of ripped the foundations of this economy out from underneath us. And it just meant that relationships that we thought to be true were no longer true or dynamics shifted so dramatically. And this high inflation environment that we're in really encompasses all of that because it just shows how much friction there was in the economy. Um, We had supply shocks that created some of these price increases. That's first and foremost, I think, where this inflation came from. And at the same time that we had all these disruptions on the supply side, we had people kind of sitting around 
buying furniture. You were buying, um, you know, appliances for your house. You couldn't go out and spend it eating at a restaurant, going to the movies or anything like this. And the governments were also trying to support people. We got stimulus checks. We got various aid packages. And what this did was allow the economy to roar back at a time when it wasn't kind of running at full capacity. And so when you have this combination of forces, it created this high inflation. And it's why we're seeing what we're seeing today. So what you're describing, at least in part, is something that's kind of out of the control of, of, of anyone, the federal government or anything. The pandemic comes. We all remember these scenes of, of ships stacked outside the port of Los Angeles. Of course, if you can't get your goods, the prices go up. What tools does the government then have to actually try to tackle inflation? So this is the problem with the tools that policymakers have. From the Federal Reserve's point of view, they're very blunt. The Fed is responsible for price stability. It's responsible for getting inflation under control, but it really has just a handful of tools in order to do that. And that's through uh, making adjustments to its benchmark policy rate. So this is the rate that sets borrowing costs across the economy. This is the most influential policy uh, tool that it has at its disposal. But the refrain that you hear again and again is interest rate increases do nothing to increase supply capacity. And it does nothing to affect the fact that this is mostly a supply shock. And so this is why we saw the Biden administration step in with various supply side fixes and policies, trying to increase capacity at ports, trying to work on American manufacturing, things like this, um, in order to to basically raise the productivity of the economy so the Fed would not have to do as much in terms of quelling demand, because that's really the only channel by which it can affect the economy. So let's pick that answer apart. Let's start with the Fed, because as you said, the primary government agency that is responsible for bringing inflation down is the Federal Reserve. They raise their rates, they make money more expensive, which means theoretically, people slow down. They don't borrow as much, they don't spend as much, and as a result, the economy begins to slow down and then it brings inflation down. Well. Because inflation went up so rapidly, should we criticize the Fed? Should the, is the Fed to blame for the fact that inflation rose so quickly? Because you hear some of those criticisms. So I think it's a really complicated question because, I mean, this was an unprecedented shock. And in none of our lifetimes had we really experienced, you know, how does an economy recover from a pandemic in this day and age? So I think that's like kind of the big caveat of this entire blame game that has happened in the aftermath of what is now the worst inflation situation in about 40 years or so. But I think where the Fed um, really went a little bit awry here is just in misdiagnosing the magnitude of the inflation shock. The way they initially saw it was as a very kind of narrow supply shock without a lot of demand forces. And they were really kind of slow to recognize that they were dealing with a much more persistent problem than they realized. And so what we've seen in the last year is the Fed kind of adjust course now that they've come to terms with the fact that they have a much more serious problem on their hands. And that's why they've been as aggressive as they have been. So that takes us right into the next topic. They've, they've been forced because they act a little bit late to just really slam on the brakes. They're raising rates faster than we've seen in, in a long time. And the debate has now shifted about whether, frankly, they're doing too much. I guess the concern that people raise is, does the Fed need to keep raising interest rates to cool down the economy? Or is the Fed overcorrecting and throw us into a deep recession? Which group should we listen to? I mean, who on that debate is right? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. If you look at recent jobs data, recent inflation data, it's quite clear that the consumer isn't really slowing down. 
job demand isn't really slowing down. And there's just more the Fed needs to do on the demand side. But the tension here is that can financial markets withstand that level of interest rates? Can the smooth functioning of the way that credit is extended throughout the economy continue to function with rates at these levels? And that's what the Fed is grappling with. And if the economy is still going relatively strong and the Fed has found the sweet spot to raise rates to the level that all those things will happen, the term of art that is freaking used is soft landing. They cool the economy enough to bring down inflation. They don't tip us into, into a recession. Where are we in will the Fed find the soft landing? So if you asked me a month ago, I think I would have said that, uh, you know, the Fed is in a much better position to do something like this and, and actually achieve a soft landing. But what's happened in the interim has really changed that prognosis. Essentially, we've seen the data come in hotter than expected. We've seen more signs of resilience. At the same time, we've seen um, some kind of financial market dislocation. And taking those all together, it just means that the eventual downturn that comes is likely to be more severe than we expected. And it could mean that, you know, the Fed is more quickly reversing course than anyone ever thought would be the case um, because it has overdone it and it's pushed the economy um, too far and inflation is falling too fast. But I think the thing to highlight out of all of this is that there's so much uncertainty. And I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer, <laughs> but um, fundamentally, I mean, we're learning new things about this economy every single day. I don't think anyone would have told you a year ago that the Fed could raise rates to almost, you know, 5% and we'd still be seeing a pretty resilient economy. This is just something that we have to take, as Powell says, you know, humbly and nimbly here um, as they kind of go ahead with this path forward and, you know, just kind of hope for the best at this point. Let's go back to the answer to your original question about the tools the federal government has. You met, we talked a lot about the Federal Reserve. The other tool, as you mentioned, was it's, it's, it's the political end of things. It's the White House. It's, it's policymaking. This is in general called fiscal policy. Talk a little bit about what, what does fiscal policy mean, but also how does that then also impact the economy and inflation? Absolutely. So fiscal policy is a kind of a critical component of how the economy has recovered really since COVID. Ask any economist and without all of that fiscal aid that we got in the aftermath of the pandemic, we wouldn't have had such a resilient economy today. We wouldn't have had one of the best job markets, um, you know, of all time with the unemployment rate at multi-decade lows. It was absolutely critical to kind of ensure that a much more pronounced economic crisis did not occur in the aftermath of COVID. But there is a time and place for fiscal policy. And in a high inflationary environment, spending more is completely and totally politically toxic. And we've seen the Biden administration kind of adjust course on this and change the way in which it talks about fiscal spending and the fact that any policies it puts through are always going to be paid for by higher taxes or deficit reduction measures. Um, so it just shows you how kind of politically um, sensitive people are to high inflation and in turn, the tools at their disposal to fix it. Well, let me push you a bit on this because as you said, you know, Biden administration comes in, we all start getting these checks in our in our bank accounts, these stimulus checks. They provided these special pandemic loans to various companies. They're pumping a huge amount of money in and then inflation. And the criticism has been it's not just the Fed that missed it, that it's Biden was the one who who overstimulated the economy. Deal with that criticism. Do you think that's a fair criticism of the administration that they overstimulated the economy? 
I don't think it's an unfair criticism because it's it's the most kind of historic fiscal aid package that we've seen. Um, but it's not also just a Biden administration decision. The Trump administration also passed a lot of these relief efforts as well. So this is if if there's blame, it's it's definitely shared blame. But then I think you've got to think about the counterfactual here. If the government did not step in as aggressively as they did, you might see you know many more people out of work, or you might see an economy that's much weaker. So high inflation, yes is painful, but so is high in unemployment and structural weakness in an economy. So when you're kind of choosing between these two things at a moment when you're dealing with a shock that no one has ever dealt with, I understand the rationale to want to kind of overdo it. I think in hindsight, there were certain aspects of the policy that was probably excessive. And that coupled with the Fed being slow to recognize the extent of the inflation problem just you know, coalesced into a much bigger problem than than otherwise would have been the case. But you kind of have to think about, you know, well, what didn't happen because they did this. All right. Let's try to bring fiscal policy, monetary policy together and talk a bit about where the economy is now, because frankly, this is in many ways what you do on a daily basis, which is we get government indicators about where the economy is now. That's GDP numbers. That's unemployment numbers. And we try to take a measure of where we are now and where we're going. Now, the sort of strange thing that's been happening recently is some of what looks like good economic news. So, you know, pretty high GDP growth, pretty low unemployment, that would seem to be good news. But sometimes that data comes out and and the stock market sells off because they think it's bad news. Talk to me a little bit about why good news can sometimes be bad news and, and bad news can sometimes be good news. So good news right now is is bad news because it means the Fed probably has to do more in order to cool things down. Um, so anytime we get a strong inflation print or a strong jobs number, it just means that demand destruction in the economy is not progressing as fast as they need it to. And so what we've seen is after all of these various data points come out, expectations of, of you know, how far the Fed needs to push things um, get ratcheted up because uh, people understand that the Fed is so narrowly focused on getting inflation down that they're going to keep at it basically until they achieve that. I think what's complicated the current debate is the fact that we have all these financial stability concerns ongoing. So for the current moment, some of the inflation priorities are kind of have taken a back seat to making sure that the financial system doesn't implode, um, which is is what we want our <laughs> central bank to be doing in general. Yes. Uh, in general, um, but but there's an interesting debate going on right now as to how much the current banking stress is actually going to impact the real economy, which is what Fed officials ultimately care about. And one argument is that if you have a banking crisis and regional banks kind of pulling back on their activity, that's going to lead to a credit crunch. That's eventually going to mean that business growth is slower, job growth is also more muted, and the economy is cooling off more quickly. And so in a way, the Fed is maybe in a better position today than it was a little bit ago, because now it has actually a force driving down demand beyond its own tools. But that being said, it's a costly one. You rightfully dodged my question about whether we're headed for a soft landing or not. But what are the economic indicators they should be watching and what should they look for to see whether, you know, as you suggest, the Fed is going to have to keep pressing the brake even harder or is allowed to maybe step off the brake and let the economy continue to a, a relatively stable area? What are those indicators that you watch for and, and what do they tell you going forward? The most critical, I think, indicator is the jobs report that comes out every single month, as well as the wage data that we get in the kind of intervening period. Essentially, inflation has become embedded into the economy to a degree that 
all officials and economists, for the most part, agree that it's going to require the labor market to slow in order for inflation to come down. That means fewer hirings, lower wage growth, overall layoffs kind of have to rise to a certain extent. And there's no way to get inflation down without that is the kind of argument from the Fed. And so in order to kind of get a better sense of how this soft landing narrative is playing out, I think we really have to watch for the labor market because if we're in a position where we can see wage growth moderate and job gains kind of hold on to a certain extent, that's exactly what the Fed wants to see. That's inflationary pressures coming off without there being huge damage to the economy. But I think there's a lot of questions about if that's possible. All right, Colby, I'm going to put you on the spot once more. For our listeners, what are like the big three takeaways you would say if they should take away from this conversation when they think about inflation in the U.S. economy? So I think the the first thing to take away is the fact that some of the policy decisions that were made in the post-COVID era have really kind of impacted the trajectory of inflation in, in this country. But it's also a global phenomenon, and we have to keep that in mind. If you look across the world, the UK, across Europe, all of these places are grappling with very high inflation as well. And, and I think this just speaks to kind of the second takeaway of all of this, which is COVID was a shock that really undermined everyone's capacity to really understand how the economy functions. And and I think that any conversation about inflation needs to emphasize the fact that every economic relationship was challenged um, in, in the last basically two years, three years or so. And uh, we have to kind of keep that in mind when thinking about the way in which this whole situation with the Fed and inflation is going to play out. The third takeaway I'd say is is the fact that, you know, we're still at this really tenuous moment in terms of where the Fed is in this process. We hear from them time and again that they're committed to, you know, staying the course until inflation is lower. But there are vast uncertainties, first and foremost, how quickly that will happen and how much they need to do to, to achieve their goals. All right, let's mush that all together. And if I were to say to you one thing, one thing that our, our, our listeners should take away and when they think about inflation in the U.S. economy, this is the most important thing that they should think about. The most important thing is that the economy doesn't function in a high inflationary environment. And that is why the Fed is so laser focused on getting inflation down, which is why it's willing to risk a slightly weaker labor market, people potentially losing their jobs. Um, and that just underscores how important it is for an economy to have stable prices. Colby Smith, thank you very much. Thanks again for listening. I'm Peter Spiegel. You can find more of Colby's reporting on FT.com. This episode was done in collaboration with Blinkist. If you want to find out more about conversations and topics like this, check out the Blinkist app. This episode was produced by Zach St. Louis. Topher Forez is our executive producer. Sound designed by Breen Turner and Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is our global head of audio. Thanks for listening. Class dismissed. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.